Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hi, I'm John McEnroe. I'm Bjorn Borg. This is Martina Navratilova. I'm Mats Wilander. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. And you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Well, you join us this week in the dressing room of Catherine Whittaker here at Prime Video. I'm backstage, Catherine. <laughs> wow, this is good, isn't it? Uh, and we're, we're, you we're, are so privileged. I know. Right now. It's very exciting. And we're, we're here. We've got the telly on, uh, which Catherine will be on in a minute. Um, and, <laughs> and she'll be presenting the aftermath of the Novak Djokovic against Rafael Nadal Rome final, which is currently taking place. We're midway through the second set as we come to you after this startling bagel set for Rafael Nadal in the first set. We'll get on to all that uh, in a little while. But I've just come over from BT Sport where I've been commentating on the women's final and the women's tournament all week long, which has resulted in... A title for Karolina Pliskova over Johanna Konta. And to be honest, either one of those players, they're just not players I expected to see in the final. No, maybe we should have expected to see Karolina Pliskova. I don't know. I mean, I'm not sure anybody, even after her run to the final in Rabat, expected to see Joe Konta there. Probably not even Joe Konta. I mean, she said winning that semi-final against Kiki Burtons was the the biggest result she's had since winning Miami uh, back in 2017. Mm. No, since reaching the Wimbledon semi-final, yes. also in 2017. That's it. That was, um, those were the, I mean, that was peak Joe Conta, wasn't it? So that shows the significance of of reaching that final. Um, but maybe we should have been thinking of Pliskova but we, didn't is, we talk about the this the other, the we other week? Do we talk about Pliskova enough? Well, I don't the, know. And that was the point being made, is why is Karolina Pliskova? I think it was in our questions and answers show when we, we were talking about who's the best, the most underrated player or who's the best player not to have won a slam, that kind of thing. She has not won a slam, yet she's obviously an incredibly talented player. But for whatever reason, she isn't a player I... I don't think I've ever picked her to win a slam. She's reached to a reached a final, and she never kind of comes to the front of my mind. Um, I would say much more so now, 
given the season she is having. That is, I think is now six out of eight tournaments where she's reached the quarterfinals or better. This is the first time, certainly in about three years, where she's really put it together consistently. And, and she looks like a player who does not want to leave a stone unturned in her career. Yeah, I, th- I think I will. But isn't, I've always thought of her as quite consistent. Maybe the numbers don't back that up. I mean, I'm all, I will always pick her to reach a quarter or a semi. I'll just never usually pick her to win mm. a slam. I think I had her in my Wimbledon final a couple of years ago. Where she's never done any good. Where she's never, I mean, I, and I think maybe that's why she's a little bit overlooked because I feel like she sh- she should she should have had results at Wimbledon. She yeah. should be. A, she should have been a, a massive feature at Wimbledon over know, the last five years. Last she year, just hasn't been. Fourth round was her best she'd ever done. Every, she'd never gone beyond, beyond the second round of Wimbledon until last year. I mean, John Isner had a similar record, didn't he? Before before last year, obviously, when he, he bored us all to death <laughs> with Kevin Anderson. <laughs> Poor old John. Sorry, mate, but I mean, that's not an experience anyone wants to relive, is it? Well, you were in the commentary booth, weren't you? And, uh, fortunately not. Were uh, you not? Styles oh. make matches, I think it's fair <laughs> to say. And uh, Kevin Anderson against uh, John is... I mean, look, either one of those two players against either one of the two that we're watching right now... Oh, yeah, it's not it, personal. It, it's just that no. matchup was was deathly. But I've always thought that and about when, And happened to go styles. on forever. I always, always think that with... Actually... You know, you put Karolina Pliskova against Simona Halep, for instance, or oh, someone yeah. like that. I, and I like those sort of matchups. But for her to have not gone beyond the second round for several years at Wimbledon is just a strange kind of stat, given the, the serve she has. She has served, again, more aces than anybody in the world this year in the women's game. I, I was talking to Annabelle Croft today in commentary. She just says she has almost the perfect service motion. There is not one little kink in that serve. And I don't get how you you don't produce on grass with that kind of game. She's reached a semi-final at the French Open, but she's never gone beyond the last 16 at Wimbledon. The only thing I wonder is whether, a bit like Richard Krychek, who also didn't get past the third oh. round for years and then suddenly won the thing, maybe it's just going to... She's going to suddenly win Wimbledon. Didn't you say Ash Barty was going to win Wimbledon, though? Well, I did say that, yeah. <laughs> no, but I haven't actually picked Pliskova. I've picked Barty to win a slam this year, haven't I? Well, as as I think we're raking over old turf now, <laughs> but you've got to pick one of the three, then. Well, yes. No, no I've got. To, she's hey, got to win one of the three. Another stat for you. Joe Conter's never won a match at the French Open. I know. That is weird, isn't, isn't it? Isn't it? She, and I was looking at them. It's four years in a row now. The last one was Yulia Putinseva. She lost two in the, in oh, the first round. Oh, I watched that live. She, that, was a, that was a messy tussle. Yeah. She yeah. had that very tough one against Shea Suwei, which I think she had a, a tie break to win it in the second set and didn't, and then ended up losing that. Denisa Alatova, she lost in the first round, having qualified. That was her first go at it in 2015, having got into the main draw. Can't remember who she lost to the other one of the four. But this year, she's now won more clay court matches than all the three years previously combined. And how much is it down to Fed Cup? I think a lot. Because confidence is everything for Conta, isn't it? I mean, she's got one game plan and when it's on, it's it's great. I love Mm. it. It's so gutsy and and it it can be a bit route one, but it's it's 
there's no holds barred. You know, it's it's shameless drilling of a tennis ball. And, um, you know, I think she's she's come under fire for not having a plan B, but her response to that is always, I know what my strengths are. I know what I'm good at. I know that, that when I'm on, it's good enough to beat most players in the world. It's just, you know, she's she's been on a bit less over the last 12 to 18 months than she has before. But with that style of of play, low margin style of play, confidence is is everything. And we know, she, you know, sort of personality-wise, we've talked about her being sort of an introvert in the past. And I think that it, it getting herself in the right frame of mind doesn't come as naturally as it does to some other players. So an experience like the Fed Cup, I think, is just enormous for her. Yeah, well, what was happening there is she was having to win despite things not going well. And I, I, I think that that's done her the world of good. I think it also shows what a fighter she is. She will not give it in until the very last ball. And and she has her her ways of dealing and compartmentalising every single point. And, and that's, you know... We, over the years, the British media, we've slightly chuckled at her talk of processes, but it makes total sense, really, doesn't it? To just strip down the reality of your day job into the bits that you can control every single time you do anything, rather than worrying about big picture stuff that those processes contribute towards. Yeah, it doesn't come naturally to her. She's not Raphael Nadal. She doesn't wake up in the morning feeling in the zone for a tennis match. She Who does? has to, <laughs> she she has to trick her mind. Yeah. She has to have tools to get herself in the right headspace for a tennis match. And those tools don't make for good interview fodder. But if you know if they get her to the Rome final. Well, the other thing that she has been doing, though, this week, which I haven't really seen as much of, and I saw it at the Fed Cup as well, the sheer number of drop shots she was hitting against Marketa Vondrasova, who is a bit of a... The new drop shot dragon. Yeah. Oh, wow. Her and Albert Porter. She's been going to his school, I think. (laughs) Uh, She she hit one every shot. Uh, Every single rally against Daria Kasatkina did Vondrasova. Such a great match. Um, It was a wonderful match. It was played on the Pietrangeli court, which is the third main quarter in Rome I think that they should use it way more for night matches if the place was packed people were chanting Vondrasova's name is it a health and safety issue that they don't I would imagine I mean it's a small court it yeah. used to be the centre court many years ago until they bought and built it's not the even individual one. seats is it it's just sort of marbled bench yes style I mean, seating you couldn't put Nadal Federer and Djokovic on those courts I don't think without they put Fanini sits a pass on it did they that was riotous. <laughs> yes. Okay, well, we'll get on to that in a minute. But just on, on the subject of, of the drop shots that Conta was hitting against uh, Vondrasova, it was, I just found it really interesting that she got in there first. You know, here's a woman who we're expecting to hit countless drop shots, and Conta just got in there first. And she, she Not made. Not on your Nelly. And made a really good job of it. And, uh, and so I think she has added to her game and I just think she needs to win one match as French Open and then and with a, with a half-decent draw, she could really make she's, a run. She's going to be seeded now, isn't she? Up yeah. to 26 in the world That's as it. a result of this week. Yeah. What, so what about Pliskova? Do you feel... I mean, like she was saying that... She's in the mix, David. <laughs> she's in that mix. Blimey now, Matt. What have you done? I, I, I feel like she... She's been dropped from the pod uh, this week. <laughs> 
due to creation of the mix. Yes, we have, we've <laughs> removed one of the ingredients of the podcast mix. She uh, said that she didn't feel like she'd played that well and she was in the final. And then suddenly in the final, she started to serve well. In the first set, she had 90% first serves in with that serve. Um, but the, the big factor that I think that is, is different. I mean, she was kind of joint coached last year, wasn't she, by Renee Stubbs and, and Conchita Martinez. Now it's just Martinez who, whenever she comes onto the court, you end up feeling invigorated as a yeah. spectator, let alone, let alone a player. I love their dynamic. And I really do. She was saying actually in, in her press conference yesterday that I think Ben Rothenberg asked um, is the, is more the, of him later? Yeah, more of him later. Is the is other sheer amount of question the sheer number of questions or bits of information you get given by Martinez? Is it possible to take all of it in? And she said, honestly, I I kind of take the bits I feel I need. So I li- I do listen to it all. It's not like I'm ignoring it. I'm listening to it all, but there is a lot, and I just w- I just want certain bits of it. I want to hear it all and then choose. And uh, but th- I think the main thing is. She doesn't allow Pliskova to let down. There's not. She went a set down to two really feisty competitors in Sofia Kenin and Victoria Azarenka. I mean, you have to play well to turn that around against those two. And mentally, she was there the whole time. And I feel as though she's got obviously huge respect for Martinez, who's won this title four times herself before. And she just feels good when she comes out into the court. It feels right. She knows that she's getting the right information and from a person that has been there and done it. And The vibe is really good. Martin has won four Rome titles. Yeah, four in a row. Between yeah. 2000 and... Sorry, 1993 Maybe. and 96, I think it was. Because I think of her as Conchita Martinez Wimbledon champion. Yeah. But, well, that know. was the outlier, really. Yeah. She was a clay court yeah. specialist with a loopy game and somehow managed to beat Martina Navratilova <laughs> in a Wimbledon final with some of the best returns you've ever seen. Um, so I think one of the other factors that will be very interesting at the French Open is Martinez can't come on the court. Mm. And will she be able to do it on her own? Same same as Kiki Buttons and Raymond Sluiter, mm. I think, because or Slouter, Sluiter. I tell you, honestly, I've called, this week alone. I've called him four names: <laughs> Slouter, Sloiter, Sluiter. Greg says Slouter, and bless him. There's lots of great things about Greg Rosetsky's contribution to the tennis broadcasting world, but name pronunciations is rarely one of them. <laughs> so if Greg's saying Slouter. I'm going Sluter or Sloiter. <laughs> Let's call the whole thing off. Sluter. I'm going Sloiter. I'm confidently going Sloiter. Right, okay. Right, I'm going to get in touch with him. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't want to name drop here. Is it, is it name dropping if you dream, name drop Raymond? Is it name dropping to say I'm going to contact <laughs> Raymond Sloiter? Raymond, um, <laughs> be by your phone. I'm coming. Uh, um, yeah, same with her, because I love their dynamic too. He, I just want him to, I mean, I want him in my phone book just to be available to guide me through life. He's a lovely bloke. Lovely bloke. He's just got a way about him, hasn't he? He's got a lovely aura um, and a heck of a lot of good tactical input as well. But um, yeah, that's, that is that is a chat. I mean, I... I love that extra element of intrigue that it it's it, you know on on the men's side you have the fact that it's best of five that elevates the challenge of a grand slam above 
what they do week in, week out. Well, this is something I think that elevates the challenge and adds a new dimension to it on the women's yeah, side. It does. But you know, the, the, the better the coach, the more you depend on them. And, but it's and still disappointing that you you end up with this situation of it not being available at the slams because then you remove that element. And, and it, I, I don't know, that just bothers me. Yeah, I mean, I've said it before, I'll say it again, consistency. If we think coaching is on-court coaching is a good thing, and I by and large do, um, then let's do it. Across the board, every tournament, men's and women's, let's do it. Annabelle Croft likes it, by the way. Um, she doesn't oh, like Shall I, shall I get her and Joe Jury head-to-head on it at the French Open? <laughs> yeah, I want to hear that debate. Joe hates it. I know, most people do. And most people, ex-players Most ex-players do. do. Yeah. Uh, but the, um, the other thing that Annabelle really spoke strongly about was injury timeouts because uh, Petra Kvitova in a match against Miria Sakari, who was fantastic this week, by the mm. way, she got to the semifinals. Uh, one said all, three love to Sakari. Kvitova had a, an injury timeout for a calf issue um and she did retire a game later it was clear injury i mean i don't think there was any attempt by kvitova to bend the rules or to stop momentum i don't that's not her in my at least my view of her um but it did stop the momentum and there was a an eight minute break that sakari had to to deal with and annabelle said i feel that you're either fit to play or you're not and there should be no injury timeouts. I don't agree. I see where she's coming from. I think the current rule that we have at the moment is... is You're right, it just doesn't feel right, that, does it? But, I mean, to, uh, presumably the diagnosis took five minutes because you're not allowed more than three minutes for the actual timeout. Yeah, so, that, but you're allowed unlimited time for diagnosis yeah. of the injury. That is the problem. And, I mean, if you change that, then you... you you've got health and safety issues on your hands haven't you because you cannot possibly rush a medical diagnosis nor would you want to um but equally on the other hand i don't want to see a match stopped for a blister and in a completely debilitating yet entirely and quickly treatable issue but surely you can treat your own blister but you probably need more than the sit down to do it so whether you do it yourself or not you still are going to to some extent, disrupt the momentum of the match. And if you're going to do that, why not get it done by a professional? Because then you're getting help from outside and it takes... Okay, long. well, should you maybe be able, should to, just should you be able the, to get rackets strong? Maybe you should just be allowed to use the, the sit-down and nothing else so that you can't disrupt your opponent's time. Blister repair against the clock. Yeah. You can have a, a blister clock as next to the shock clock. I think so. I can't remember whether it was... Do you, do you see my point, Oh, though? totally. Uh, I do, the... You know, I don't, I don't want to see a, a great match but, but I, I think called the... off by the umpire. Actually... I'm sorry. Um, Ash Barty was unable to, to get her socks back on in time after applying a blister plaster. Yeah. We're going to have to cancel this match. I'll tell you match. what, though. I, I, think it, I think it might have been Joe who said, well, maybe what, what, you, what should happen is you have... Um, you lose points if you're going over certain time yeah. slots, you know? Yeah, uh, could, that, could... Just so that a player who is having treatment has to have some consequences in terms of time if they The problem, though, is over. that it's, there is a limit on the time for the treatment. 
that ex- that rule exists. It's the diagnosis is time that mm. is unlimited, and then you're putting the pressure on the medical professional, and that's not fair. Mm. You, 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 I, I don't think we could get into a situation where we're putting pressures on physios and doctors to, and about Pat to and rush a Joe, diagnosis. They all say, "Well, we didn't have all this when we were playing." Yeah, but I, I mean, that's the, that's the you know, oh, the good old days. But it's Don't what make happened. Me do Brexit comparisons. It's what David. happened there, you know? And we didn't yeah, have but all isn't that. it isn't it great that we're seeing the longevity of players extended now? Yeah, that's true. Uh, let us know what you think at Tennis Podcast on Twitter. Uh, send us uh, an email. Uh, we, our website contact form is there you can email us um at tennispodcast.net um so yeah it, it's an interesting talking point and uh, and one i suspect that will rumble think, on forever i certainly think it's worthy of some discussion because yeah. i mean yeah it's so unscientific to talk about feel but you're absolutely right it didn't feel right and and there are adjustments being made. We're looking at a shot clock on the side of the court during this Rome men's final at the moment. We're looking at, uh, I read today that the French Open will only allow one bathroom break for, for players per set um, at the French Open. Things like that, you know, which... Is that men's and women's? I'm not sure, actually. I can't remember. But anyway... I, th- I would potentially have issues with that on the women's side mm, i'm not sure to be honest Catherine. interesting we check. will we will seek clarification we will maybe raymond slater knows about that as well <laughs> <laughs> anyway uh whatever his name is so the, the rest of the the week in rome we saw um victory once again i mentioned marketa von drusova who who got her second win of the year over Simona Halep, and she just drop-shotted her into oblivion. Plus, Halep was incredibly complimentary about how good Vondrasova was on the stretch, out wide to either her forehand or backhand. She had an ability to slice under defence. I was so impressed with this woman. She's 19 years of age. And now I've known about, we've known about her for a couple of years. She had a big result at the US Open last year, didn't she? Do you know, I can't remember what she she's did. done at the slams. Stand by, David. Keep okay. talking. But Keep what talking, she did do, Google. she beat Conta last year uh, at Indian Wells, and she has got to 44 in the world. She she won, you know, she won her a title in her second professional event as, as a 17-year-old. But this was the first time that I've really watched her closely. She's a left-hander, and seeing her on clay, it just felt like you really get to see her full repertoire and to, to play against Daniel Kasatkina who's a kind of similar player isn't she very expansive and and uh, extravagant spins and paints pictures and it was just a beautiful sight to watch this woman in action a really natural tennis player she beat Kiki Buttons goodness 13 seed 7-6 in the to? third no less she got to the round of 16 and uh, lost out to Alicia Serenko yeah well I think she's going places Vondrasova based on what I saw this week I, I really think she is a a serious player like a just a natural tennis player um, and she's got a bit of a serve on her as well which Kasakina looked like a dolly of a serve by comparison I love that Annabelle in commentary <laughs> described her drop shotting as just tennis's best wind up <laughs> yeah, it was because against Kasakina literally every rally is finishing <laughs> yeah. with a drop shot which is just, it does wind you up uh, so that was very good um the rest of the week, I mean, I mentioned Hallett because I kind of feel like we look at her as the French Open favourite and yet, you and know, yet she didn't we? win. Well, 
Kiki Burton's lost to Joe Contra and semis. I mean, who is the French urban favourite? Who is it? I'd still go Halep. Would you? Just. Yeah, Halep, but it's definitely the field. Yeah, well, yeah, obviously. It's Halep probably more than any other individual. But... Mm. uh, Interesting. I mean, Osaka... Uh, pulled out of her quarterfinal with a hand injury, didn't yeah, she? But a slightly bizarre injury. She said she she woke up. She said she felt absolutely fine the day before. Woke up that morning and her thumb was numb. Playing well though, isn't she? Yeah, she is playing really well. I mean, you know, you said at the start of the year it'll be interesting to see her on clay because that's not where her best results have come, and yet she's won the last two slams. They had this. If you didn't follow it this week, they had the most biblical rain you've ever seen in your life on Wednesday, which I think ended up being the first washout in the tournament's history that did not get a ball hit. It did mean that on Thursday you had 50-odd matches being played. You had Nadal, Federer, Djokovic all playing on the second court, all having to play twice in a day. And uh, Osaka was beating good players. You know, she is able to transfer her game a little bit like Conta was doing today and which also Pliskova does. These players, if they're good enough, they can transfer their hardcore games onto the clay, which which I find very interesting. Yeah, it seems so it it it, it seems so much more possible that now than than it did 10, 15 years ago. The concept of of clay court specialists I think is slightly fading. Mm. I mean, it was only a year ago that I thought of Kiki Burton's as a clay court specialist, and she's, you know, so clearly not. She's, I mean, she had success on grass last year, didn't she? Christine Garin, I'm told. <laughs> Proper clay court specialist. Who we know all about now. Yeah, well, we're going to keep a BDI and find I out. I mean, can you think of a, someone you'd call a proper clay court specialist in the women's game? Maybe Carla Suarez Navarro a little bit, but she's also reached the Miami final. US in her Open career. quarter finalist last year. Yeah. Did you do that last year? You you commentated on it, David, didn't Did I? you? I don't know. Madison Keys. I can't remember. That really bizarre match on the Friday night where no one was paying any attention. I'll take your word for it. <laughs> Maybe it wasn't a quarter final. You definitely commentated on it with Annabelle. Yeah. And Annabelle was appalled that Yes, she was appalled. Nobody but was. But I don't watching. think it was a quarter final. No. I think it was halfway through the event. Oh. Um yeah. Well, if it was a Friday then. It was either the semi-final or but look, <laughs> like a second Sarah's round. Navarro certainly has had results on other surfaces. You're quite right, um, and uh, and yeah, the the concept of it is not what it used to be. There are not many Sergio Bagueras, and frankly, but then you know you look back. We've just been talking about Conchita Martinez. Back in the day, you would not have got a player that you described more as a clay court specialist than Conchita Martinez, and yet she won Wimbledon. True. Likewise, Rafael Nadal back in the day. At the time that he won his first Wimbledon, you would still have described him as a clay court specialist. Mm. Svit- no, not Svitolina. No, take it, can, I take it back before I even said it. Oh, I'm going through wants. the draw and seeing if I can identify one. There's somebody <laughs> called Elisabetta Cocciaretto, who I've never heard of before, but could, could well be a clay court specialist. Sara Irani. Tell you what. Old uh, Carla Suarez Navarro did reach the quarterfinals of US Open last year. Come on. <laughs> Blimey heck. Good work. I don't know who she played. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyway, uh, yes, it's all happening. Uh, so the other, the other player I feel like we should 
talk about, not a clay court specialist, is Serena Williams, who made mm. her long-awaited comeback. She'd only last time she'd played was Miami, um, and she she played Rebecca Peterson there. She played her here. She beat her, and played pretty well. And then, and she told us quite interestingly about her the kind of health kick that she's on at the moment to keep herself in in the best shape she can be and and then sadly she was forced to withdraw ahead of her match with her sister venus uh, i think it's the ongoing knee injury isn't it ongoing knee injury yeah. is literally the 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 terminology that was used in in the statement i don't, I don't know what to say because i just have no idea where serena williams is at i mean what can we say we've seen We've seen her play Rebecca Peterson. There's no evidence, and I don't know what to, what conclusions I can draw mm. on that basis. She certainly she arrived in Rome really early, didn't she? She seemed to be bigging up her sort of you know yeah this is where my clay court season begins. Um, she loves Rome, doesn't she? It's where she met her husband, and then it was just this big damp squib. So. I don't know. Mm. Well, I really, I really hope she can just find enough fitness to play properly again because the ball striking is there. That's the the really frustrating thing. It's all there. It just needs like these top male players, and particularly I think of Nadal, just needs them to be fit in order to to keep on producing it. You still think she'll break Margaret Court's record? Yes, I do. I think there will there will be a period where she can get that fitness right. I just the ball striking is so good, and when she's playing playing well, she's moving well enough. It's just yes, I do. I do. What do you think? Yeah, I think she'll get one more. Right. Okay. Well, let's wait until the end of this match, shall we? And then we can talk about what happened. Yeah, should we do a live out-of-date update? Yeah, it's currently 6-Love Nadal, 5-4 Djokovic Juice. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. 
Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. So Rafael Nadal is the Rome champion. He went on to win it in three sets, despite the fact that Novak Djokovic somehow managed to win that second set. Don't quite know how. Uh, you join us now with Catherine Whitaker and myself, David Law, in a car. We are heading back <laughs> to uh, sunny Putney, home of the Putney Exchange, where Catherine lives and where I'm staying at a, a local hotel. And uh, yes, well, what do we make of all that we have just witnessed? Because... We've had a six-love set. We referenced it briefly in passing, Catherine, but that is quite a shock on paper. But is it a shock in reality, given the difference in their preparation for this particular match and their turnaround time after their semi-finals? Well, I guess not. I mean, I've just come off air with a number of pundits, Greg Wazewski and Sam Smith in the studio and commentators out there on site in Rome and... All of them seem to see the, the the narrative of that match as Djokovic was was too tired to to really challenge Nadal, and it was only sort of sheer will that enabled him to to take that second set. And that was I, I agree that was that seemed to be the case to me. His first line in the speech, uh, which I was having someone translate in in my ear, which I then had to relay on the air. Um, oh, you shouldn't have told us that, Catherine. We were all thinking, gosh, she I speaks... Wasn't, I wasn't fooling anyone. Um, and then flipping Nadal steps up there and starts speaking Italian, so I have to do the same thing again. Um, no, the first thing he said was, um, I'm not going to talk about being tired, thereby talking about being tired. Um, or at least mentioning being tired. Um, and yeah, look, I mean, he was he was tired. He was he was doing everything he could to, to try and keep points as, as short as possible. He was at the net a lot. He was... <laughs> drop shotting persistently despite having sort of a zero percent return rate um he was he started moonballing midway through the first set which was extraordinary he was out of ideas but for me that raises the question of okay yes he played a lot more tennis i think there was a disparity of about three hours in the amount of tennis they'd, they'd each played since friday um and Djokovic had had the less beneficial scheduling he played his semi-final late at night uh, on saturday finished about uh 10:30 local time i think so about 17 hour turnaround before the final but plus a 1am finish against del potro Plus a 1am finish against Apoche the night before. Yes, all of that is punishing and it and it, it wasn't a level playing field. However, I was a bit surprised by how knackered Djokovic was. I mean, this is the marathon man. This is the guy that beat Nadal in six hours in the Australian Open final in, in 2012 after having had a, a five-hour battle with Andy Murray the round before. Okay, you get a, a day off in between rounds at slams but it also it's over best of five at slams they've been they've been doing they've been winning these masters titles with marathon battles and and minimal recovery time for for 10 to 15 years so yeah nadal was was helped along by by djokovic being seemingly exhausted today but i it it does put a, a speck of doubt in my mind about where Djokovic is at physically if he does 
get embroiled in a in a long match, which he could well do a Roland Garros. I, I would think it the bigger concern is probably the more cumulative effect of several matches of that ilk because let's not forget he had two successive three set matches against Del Potro, finishes at one in the morning, comes out, plays another three set match, pretty pretty energetic matches against Diego Schwartzman. then he's got to face the greatest clay court player of all time how many times have we seen that scenario and Djokovic has come out and yeah, defied uh, gravity? He made a slow start, the, but I, I would say actually he still defied gravity, but he did it in the second set because Boris Becker tweeted at, at the end of the final, his only chance really is to make a good start on this surface against Nadal, and he didn't. He didn't make a good start. Nadal, worth saying how well he played, and and. It, Oh, he was brilliant. I'm not sure who it was in the studio. Maybe all of you just acknowledging the way he was going down the lines relentlessly. He wasn't just trading cross-court with, with um, Djokovic. He was doing, in a way, to Nadal, to, to Djokovic, what, what he does yeah. to him. Yeah, that's a really good point. And, and um, not allowing Djokovic to, to take the ball as early as he would like. He was pushing him back and back and back. He was serving well. I think that's something that that's been a bit errant um, in recent weeks and the, the the satisfaction and the joy on his face when he won I've, I feel like that's one of the most significant titles for him outside of the slams in recent years I yeah. really do that he, he just was beside himself with joy couldn't stop smiling couldn't hold it in he needed that didn't he yeah Uh, I think he needed it as I think there was a stat that Nick Lester gave that it was the longest title drought in something like since 2004 yeah and what a stat and the just he needed to know that he could win again at the very highest level just even the greatest need a reminder that their form is there going into the big one and uh, what we all want to know, I suppose, is given what happened at the Australian Open, how big a deal is it to do it against Djokovic? He didn't want to play that game. He wanted to talk about how he needed to know that his game was there. And then the rest, well, whatever But how will can be, will you be. know your game is really there unless it's been tested against the best? Yeah, I, I feel like it, for him it is actually... He, and he's, he, he's not the sort to play the game, but I think it's significant because... It was such a chastening defeat to Djokovic. He needed to know that he could hurt him. And he hurt him today. I agree. Yeah, he did hurt him. I think that defeat will sting a bit. I think, look, he's still... Djokovic is still going into the French Open with a title under his belt. They've each won one title. But generally, all other things being equal, Rome is a bigger indicator for Roland Garros due to the similarity in conditions than is Madrid. Yeah, I would... I've always typically thought that uh, this week has been so strange with all, and maybe even the rain is a is a good indicator as well because you have sometimes to deal with those conditions in Paris. But it made it so soft, it seemed, and the clay surface didn't feel that true this week. You know, there was a lot of slipping around. There was a lot of broken courts. Well, Djokovic last night against Schwartzman was asking for the the court to be swept at every change of ends wow. not just at the end of the sets he wasn't happy at all with, with the state of the court I, I, I can only assume that the that the extent of the rain is a factor 
Federer wasn't happy, was he? We had Grouchy Fed yes. against Borna Chorich. He still won. Came back from two match points down to beat Borna Chorich, but he was doing a lot of complaining. But he was complaining about the slippiness of the lines, I mm. guess, because they were watering the court a lot, I think. He's not used to clay court tennis. He's forgot <laughs> what it's all about. Yeah. <laughs> um, what is this red stuff? But he, he withdrew uh, from his, his match against Sitsipas. Just on the Djokovic-Nadal situation here, does it shift your view more generally, therefore? You said it gives you a speck of doubt over the form of Djokovic going into the French Open. Does it... I think you still had Nadal as the favourite anyway, didn't you? I did, yes. Uh, and Djokovic is still my second favourite, so... I guess nothing has changed other than I just feel a little bit more confident in those two things. Uh, I still feel that the Djokovic will win the, the French wow. Open because wow. I don't feel that he will have a situation like he's had today. There won't be any backdrop to look back on and think, oh, that's that's where he got exhausted. I have lost from a from a very low base I have lost confidence in your predictions today though David what do you mean? I mean that after the second set of the final you said to me Djokovic is going to steamroll him now <laughs> yeah okay yeah, I did say that with such a steely confidence you almost <laughs> had me believing it well I, st- I can't forget the Australian Open final and I still feel from a level playing field that Djokovic's level is higher than Nadal's overall if you take all the surfaces into to account and his record against him what is it now 28-26 he's been more dominant more recently 20, yeah 28-26 and that's where that came from now I got it completely wrong folks what I would say is I, I did sort of think that when he lost the first set six love I didn't think that that was automatically it as well um, you tweeted that. Yeah, I did tweet that, thankfully. Tweeted that. Uh, tweeted anyway. that. And, then, and then after Djokovic won that second set, David David got out his phone, pointed to that tweet and said, that was good, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so now Catherine has decided to just even it up here on the podcast. Uh, and fair, fair enough. I just, I still think that Djokovic will be different at the at the French Open I think they could they're going to be top two seeds yes they are yeah. uh, I still think it'll go them in the final and it'll go all the way Five I do sets. too I just think it'll go all the way to La Duzima <laughs> we haven't looked that That's up it's a work in progress isn't yeah. it <laughs> she, she can translate complete Italian <laughs> speeches but she can't do the numbers um so what about the rest of the week before we get on uh, there's a c- couple more points on, on the men's draw and obviously we've got Kyrgios to talk about um, but I did want to talk about Kiki Mladenovic who mm. has made it through to what was it the, the quarterfinals this week she won two won, won some incredible matches along the way to, to get to from a qualifying position she beat uh, Caroline Garcia um, she was really excellent this week and she's coached by Sasha Bayan now who obviously had great success with Caroline Wozniacki was part of team Serena Williams for, for a long time and then the most impactful of all um, or at least the headline grab for everybody is that he joined team Naomi Osaka she went and won two Grand Slam titles became world number one and then sacked him 
so the reasons for which we, we we've never known completely we only know what was put out publicly but he does seem to have an impact on the players he coaches in terms of the results they get yeah well I mean I don't want to take anything away from him as a coach because that chat record you've just detailed speaks for itself but it's a bit of an easy win with Kiki Mladenovic isn't it because she's a former top 10 player that has been in the singles wilderness but why has she been in the singles wilderness don't, I don't she's been, I she's genuinely don't know 64 in the world right now we were, we were debating this the other day amongst ourselves weren't we with, with Matt and I think we speculated that it was just sort of lack of desire sort of a, just a, a contentment a contentment with life a lack of need to 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 do what's required to, to be a consistent top 10 player but it's, it was such a vast drop off I mean to, surely to, to I'm not saying Sasha will, will necessarily get her back in, into where she was I think she got to number 9 didn't she but I'd say to get her to to, to being a top 25 player again is a is an easy win yeah. I would have thought she is a, she's a really good player when she's on but anyway that's uh, that's one last uh, little bit that, I, that I forgot to mention in the first part of the show um, Stefano Sitsabas continues to do well although that was a pretty chastening defeat from, from Nadal and there was a, a comment at the end of your coverage tonight by Sam Smith just reminding us of the, the chasm that is still there between the very best players in the world that have been dominating. What was it? What was that stat about ten years ago? And the, the quarterfinals in Rome, and they were still the same this year. Yeah, five of the eight men's quarterfinalists in Rome were the same as they were in two thousand and nine, and actually two of the matches were the same. That was a grad math stat. Wasn't Djokovic it? and Delpo and Nadal and Vadasco. Both of those were quarterfinals from 2009 and that was a grad math stat and it was an absolute corker. Yeah, well done. And, and uh, Sam Smith said that there's still such a, a distance when they look at these two players today and over the last couple of days they realise how far they've still got to go. Sitsabas apart because he is the one starting to bridge it. Yeah, but I, I mean I, I was so struck by that when I watched uh, Shapovalov play Djokovic on that was the first of Djokovic's two matches on on Thursday I just I just thought what's he doing here like he's just he just so evidently had no chance at all at any stage of that match there was not a moment where I you know usually with those young players that that are so talented and and have none of the baggage and have nothing to lose you think oh maybe just maybe maybe there'll be something exciting here and I just didn't feel that for even a split second and that's a problem that's a problem I think they've the the top players are improving so just improving as a young player isn't enough because you're not closing the gap you've got to be improving leaps and bounds and some some of them are doing that and they <laughs> most of them are still extremely young and we shouldn't quite be hitting the panic button for them but there are one or two that I've previously been very excited about that I now have a little bit of oh, come on just sort yourself out yeah just don't be a Dimitrov oh I know hurts. it's awful Dimitrov's not done yet quiet. what are you saying David he's in the qualifying in Geneva <laughs> is he really <laughs> he is yeah he's, he's playing got, qualies in got Geneva got a wild card into the qualies Go on, Grigor. 
That's the way to do it. See, I like that. Go and I, li- I like that he's doing it, but that's a sorry state of affairs. It is. Well, it does rock you, doesn't it? Yeah. When you realise that 18 months ago he was winning the ATP finals. Um, it says a lot of how far he's fallen. Um, Nick Kyrgios. Mm. Where do we start? <laughs> he We're going to have to promote a rival podcast we here, are, aren't we? Because oh, it was the No Challenges Remaining podcast uh, presented a coup. by they did by uh, presented by Ben Rothenberg who'd had um, a bit of a to and a fro with uh, Nick Kyrgios over the last couple of years on Twitter quite entertaining I have to say on Twitter that that, that exchange um, he ended up getting a, an interview in Rome with Kyrgios which was warts and all I think it is fair to say the, warts and all but not just his warts yeah, <laughs> not other he, people's warts he I mean I think this, the slightly unfortunate thing is that there were some absolutely fascinating self-analysis um, in there and reflections um, and insight into who he is and the way he sees all sorts of things. And that was the sort of first half an hour. And then at the end, he basically slagged off half a dozen people um, and told us why he doesn't like them. Um, so that made some significant headlines, um, particularly his his comments about Novak Djokovic and Rafael Nadal and Fernando Vadasco. Uh, the following, Suarez Navarro. Yes, although he was very complimentary. No, no, I think, in a good way. Yeah. But st- I mean, I still found it very, very it was, interesting. It was interesting. Yeah, he does. He does. And then the following day, he went out onto the court against Casper Ruud. He had a good. R- win in the first round against Daniel Medvedev had uh, Kyrgios and he'd been talking about this style he'd played and the way underarm serve on the first point yeah and he was really proud of that (laughs) Uh, and he told Francis Tiafo he would do it and then he did it and he won the point so he was very happy Um, and then he played Kasparud it was pretty he was loving it well, not much was happening in the first set. It wasn't going no. very well. Then no, the second no. set, he but started he stuck, to love he it. he stuck with it. He didn't just go, oh, I don't fancy this. I'm out on court three. I've lost the first set. He stuck with it, played himself into the match. He was fired up. The crowd were loving it. It was brilliant. He yeah. was into it. Leveled the match. I sent the Tennis Podcast WhatsApp group going, I, I simply can't believe, as per his comments on No Challenges Remaining, I can't believe that he just flat out doesn't enjoy tennis because that was the sight of a man enjoying himself. Yeah, he was showing off to the crowd they were absolutely loving that and all the rest of it and then on our chat you said (laughs) hold on he's just smashed his racket into the ground uh he's just flung a chair across the court (laughs) uh he's shaking hands and he's walking off and he he simultaneously retired and got defaulted uh, Jerry Armstrong coming out onto the court. Curious, actually shook hands both with his opponent, the umpire, and Jerry Armstrong, and then walked off. It, it was notable for me how quickly Jerry Armstrong appeared courtside, almost as if he had been loitering <laughs> in expectation of uh, something eventful. Jerry Armstrong, who was responsible for defaulting John McEnroe in 1991 at the Australian Open, he was in the chair at the time, and he now he's refereeing. He can smell a crisis. <laughs> Yes, there, isn't, there are not too many situations Jerry hasn't come across over his uh, career. Um, it seemed to be sparked by somebody in the crowd who Kyrgios ended up having a row with, uh, and then he got given a points penalty, then a game penalty, then he went really, he lost it, um, and the chair went flying, and we've had headlines for 24 hours and more since then. Um the usual kind of 
analysis of whether that makes him bad for the game, good for the game, should he be fined, suspended. He got ended up getting, a, I think, a total of about 55000 fine if you count the prize money he didn't get paid. and the, Had to pay for his own meals. Yeah, had to get his own hotel, all that sort of thing. Um, 55,000 euros, I think, was the total of the fine if you count everything up. There were three lots of 7,000 uh, fines for his various point penalties, game penalties, etc. Um, the ATP deemed that his actions neither were injurious to the tournament nor brought the game into disrepute because those are the two um, circumstances under which they can impose subsequent, sort of after-the-fact, yeah. extra penalties. And the the incident he'd had in Shanghai a couple of years ago was deemed not to be something that this would add on to. It was a, it was a separate offence. Back then he'd had, I think, an eight-week uh, suspension and he was told he had to get some sports psychology uh, sessions and this was a separate incident, so th- that's where we ended up with. Roger Federer said afterwards, what did he do? Injure a chair as though it was not anything that required any special treatment he said that the fines and the various things we've just described were enough Kasper Ruud the opponent had said I think there's a lot of people that think he should be suspended for six months um, plenty of people uh, defended him plenty of people attacked him what do you think I sort of think all of those things <laughs> at once um, I think that well, what should, I mean, should we deal with the interview first, or the do they do they go hand in hand? Are we dealing with them? Are they related? Well, the, I events? do feel it is possible that that the interview and the things he said could have almost prompted what he ended up doing because of the the backlash. Because he absolutely knew he was going to get backlash. There was a moment in that interview, and I think his agent. It sounded to me like his agent tried to intervene, and you heard him say, "Mate, I've come this far. <laughs> I'm pressing." And I think it was just it was just as he was starting to to go for his fellow players. Yeah. I think he was just about to lay into to Novak Djokovic and there was sort of a pause and then he heard him say no mate I've come this well, far Todd Woodbridge said today on Channel 9 that he he thinks that there is a direct relationship and that he puts so much pressure on himself um, by giving the, the amount of candour in his interview that he did that he can't handle that then in the situation when it gets tense on the court and it caused him to blow um, which which was very interesting in itself, I thought. Um, I don't think that's impossible. I think that yeah. is possible. Yeah, I mean, c- cause and effect with Kyrgios is so impossible to identify because, frankly, I'm not sure any of us can even go any way to any kind of meaningful way to, to understanding him and the work, workings of his brain. I mean, in terms of the interview, there, were, there was... There were some things he said that, as you say, were so wonderfully self-reflective and charming and interesting. And and as much as they might have been annoying, the very fact that he was so aware of them yeah. makes makes it sort of charming. It's like he he, it's not enough for him to achieve something. It only means something to him if he can if he can look cool while he's doing it. Cool seems to be and he, and he the said, absolute ultimate aim. He said, I do, "I do look in the mirror and I think, is this a front?" Am I just? Am yeah. I putting this on, um, or not? It was these the fatalism and the the determinism of his attitude to to life, which made me 
quite sad he sort of said yeah this is how I am and you know as we're saying really a real self-awareness in his description of himself and how he is and his deficiencies and his flaws but he just accepts those and says I can't change him this is how mm. I am of course you can of course you can you you just have to to want to if you don't like that about yourself if it's not making you happy which is what he's saying I'm not happy doing this then identify the things that are making you unhappy the things about I mean we're getting awfully deep here but that that fatalism made me really sad I agree with you on many levels I still listen to him and watch what's happening with him and think well but is that under his control is he wired in a way that can take control of it at all I'm not sure that he can no not currently I'm not even sure he can want to but you can seek help to to rewire if you if you fully understand you know there are ways to rewire he he's yeah he's he's his approach to life at the moment is one of self-sabotage and sadism and and I agree with you he, he he doesn't know any other way but there are there is there is help available and I think he does need help and I I think he's he's unhappy you don't I, I don't think somebody that's happy acts the way that that we saw I mean, out there listening to the interview and, and look props to Ben for getting the interview and etc some people say oh I'd, I don't think we should be uh, praising an interview like that I, I see it on on a couple of levels I think it's it was fascinating to listen to I do feel a bit uncomfortable with elements of it and that's not to say I wouldn't have done the interview had I had the chance I probably would um, the there are elements to it though that make me uncomfortable and I, I I actually got in touch with somebody at the ATP to ask is is there any sort of kind of fitten, fitness test mentally that players are required to go through before they take to the court and join the tour and it was pointed out to me that you know there is support out there and the what the, support well, what specifically I think I think that there there is of, and of, I mean, don't forget when he had what he had previously, he he was given access to a, a psychiatrist, a, a, a psychologist, which um, is available. I think that there is an understanding that mental health is increasingly something that people are aware of within the game and need to be. And I'm not I'm not sure it's sufficient, but I, I certainly wouldn't say there's a bl- totally blind eye to it. But the point that was made to me is. How can you help somebody that doesn't want to be helped? Well, and that's very difficult. I do see the problem there. It, what do you do? You're saying, sorry, you can't come on the court. We don't we don't think you're in a fit state to. It's who makes that call? Very difficult. Yeah. I, I don't I don't know. I don't know. I don't know the answers. I, I uh, and he said in the interview that he deliberately surrounds himself with people that that don't challenge him you know that that for, for all for 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 all the right reasons because they care about him etc etc they they enable him aren't they they're kind of enablers they're not they're not people that are going to walk out of the door if he behaves badly or no and I mean look I, n- I know one of them who 
I know tries to get him to to do the right things, etc. Yeah. But there, I don't think there are those sort of ultimatums. No, um, they but they they care about him. That's the thing. They yeah. want him to be okay. Yeah. And 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 it's look. Maybe we maybe he does just have to be accepted as as he is. And unless you, there isn't necessarily a one size tennis player fits all. And if you break the rules, you get fined. You get this, that, the other. Um, and there is the other side that there's a lot of people that were noticed in the sport I feel so conflicted about all of it I really do and so much of the reaction to him lacks any kind of nuance that that's what really bothers me some people will say oh it's so ridiculous that everyone's coming down on on Nick Kyrgios like a ton of bricks for this just let him do his thing and some people will say this is absolutely appalling he needs to be banned from the game for for a year absolutely no sympathy with him whatsoever it's as you, you say, it's all those you things. You can't have a binary response to Nick Kyrgios. It's simply not possible. No. So I don't really know where we are. I mean, it is possible, evidently, but it's not right. Yeah, it doesn't sit right with me either. So, there we are. <laughs> we're, we've, we've got absolutely nowhere. What I can say confidently is that Nick Kyrgios is not going to win the French Open. I agree. <laughs> uh, so that, that's our prediction here on the Tennis Podcast, <laughs> and we'll be making similar wonderful predictions <laughs> in our newsletter, which you can sign up to. Um, and that just about does it for this particular edition in the car. Is this our first car edition? Uh, I think so. We've done the bus at the US Open. <laughs> we've done the walk to the bus. We've done the walking into a tree while walking to the bus show that happened as well so we've done lots of different things over the course of the last you know it's our seventh birthday coming up this week it's the 28th isn't it something like that yeah 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 so seven years of the tennis podcast and uh, we're open to to being sent cake we are thanks for listening to all of you do tell your friends if you've enjoyed this show and if there's somebody you think might enjoy it let them know so we can keep introducing more people to it hopefully they'll enjoy it too uh we are going to have another show in a few days time in the lead up to roland garros the french open is on the horizon catherine is going to be there for eurosport i never get to go because i'm always too busy at the queen's club Uh, but she'll be there working for eurosport as part of their team but our show our new show coming out in a few days time is going to be Rafael Nadal an oral history it will see Catherine myself and uh, Matt Roberts going through his career in some detail reflecting on our memories and and uh, great moments from his career challenges he's faced all sorts of stuff trying to give our insight from from our dealings with him uh, and and generally telling the story of Rafael Nadal a delve into the David Law memory bank. Yes, it's vast and usually pointless. However, it does have the odd nugget. Uh, then we will be daily, of course, at Roland Garros for the French Open. Our daily tennis podcasts will um, continue throughout. Matt's going to be there. Grad Matt is going to be there for the first week, accredited for us. That's good, isn't it? It's great. Very exciting. Uh, and we are brought to you in association with The Telegraph. Uh, we are executive produced by TennisBalls.com. Our mascot is Rio with a Y, and we'll speak to you soon. Mom deserves 
deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com.